What do you do when you receive some troubling or terrifying news? Well, that's the time to draw near to God. And that's exactly what Daniel did in the passage before us. We'll look at that next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Find your place in Daniel chapter 7, as we'll join Pastor Ed Taylor there in just a second. The prophet Daniel is given a dream where he sees several empires, and one of them will be under the rule and reign of the Antichrist. This will be followed by the fifth and final kingdom when Jesus comes again to establish his rule and reign. We're about to hear what will go down just before Jesus returns. So, if you're ready, Let's join Pastor Ed now in Daniel 7. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 7 as we attempt to finish the chapter today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Governments or Man Are Wild. Remember, Daniel received a vision. He received, he had a dream. And what he saw uh, is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar saw from different perspectives. And we learn because God's thoughts are so different than our thoughts It makes sense that Nebuchadnezzar would dream about the coming kingdoms of man in one way, and then Daniel, a man of God, would dream of them in another way. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of the coming empires, beginning with his. The great image that the king saw was actually a peek into the future history, the coming world kingdoms, all the way to the end of the age, to the end times. Remember the the image had a gold head which represented Babylon. It had a a chest and arms of silver representing the next kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. It had a belly and a thighs of bronze or brass like Grecian Empire. It had legs of iron representing the Roman Empire. And then its feet were mixed with iron and clay that spoke of a future coming kingdom at the end of the age, a revived Roman Empire. That was man's perspective of world history. The governments of man were stately and noble and powerful and valuable. And by the way, many people still believe the governments of man are noble and stately and powerful. Many still today. I hope you're not one of them, but perhaps you are. Put more trust in the governments of man than they do in their faith in God and their trust in God. I was just watching a video before I came in today of a well-known football player, not a Denver Bronco, talking about how he can't possibly conceive of a God that would bring judgment upon man. How is it that we can follow a God? What kind of, and and he began to compare it. I didn't write it down. I could have wrote the notes down, but he began to compare it something like this. You know, how can a compassionate, loving, caring God bring about judgment on most of the world? And of course, that's man's perspective. It's not an entirely invalid perspective, and it's not even an entirely unusual question. It's not a bad question to ask, except that he wasn't asking the question at the point of the interview. He had come to the conclusion. 
He had assessed where he is in this time in life, and, and his assessment was, I just can't believe in the God of the Bible. I don't see it that way. But you know, God has a different perspective. He provides himself. How, how, it, the question really is, considering the sinfulness of man and what man has done to man and the continual rebellion of man, just man to man, not only the rebellion of man to man and what men do to each other and how they harm each other and how they hurt children and on and on the evil atrocities that men have done to men, you know, that people do. How much more than that sin and rebellion against a holy and a righteous God? And the question to ask isn't so much of why would a God, loving, compassionate God bring judgment. The real question is how can he not bring judgment on those that have chosen to hurt and to harm each other, even inventing ways. Remember all the way back in Genesis, it talked about how the thoughts and the intents of man were always evil. They couldn't think any other way. The real question is not how can, how can a God bring judgment? The real question is this, how can an innocent man die for the sins of the world? Where, where's the equality in that? And not by force. Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly for you. While we were still yet dead in our trespasses and sins, we had nothing to offer him. Where, where we find ourselves in a place of desperate need, so desperate we didn't even know our need. You see, the perspective of God is very different than the perspective of man. And if you happen to be a person, I just think this is like a word from the Lord for you. If you happen to be a person that gets stuck in your head, and you get stuck with your thoughts, and you just can't get out of, I think of this and it takes you over here, Begin to pray to God. Make this a prayer that God would release you from the tyranny of your thoughts. That he would give an outlet to you. To begin to God shed light on those dark places where, you know, a worrier gets stuck in their head. A person that likes control gets stuck in their head. A person grieving gets stuck in their head. A person that's anxious gets stuck there. But God wants to penetrate those thoughts and give you perspective. And for you, believer, today... The perspective is that God is sovereign. He's still on the throne. The story of your life has not been finished yet. There's still much to be done. That God's thoughts towards you are for good and not evil. That he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And how about this one? God's working all things together for the good. For those of you that love him. Those that are called according to his purpose. That interrupts that thought pattern. And you begin to allow God. Now, even if you don't allow God, he may get your attention in a dream or a vision. He may speak to you in a place where you just, you have to lay down and in a position of vulnerability where you're not fighting it anymore. And he gives Daniel a dream. He gives Daniel a perspective of the same coming, coming kingdoms. But Daniel's dream in chapter 7, we learn, was not of an image, but of wild beasts. And it's through Daniel, it's like God saying to us, here's my perspective on things. This is how I see the earth. The governor of man is not that gold and silver, what is valuable and important and to be protected. The governments of man are not beauty, but they're wild. They're beastly. And remember Daniel's dream in the first few verses began with a lion with eagle's wings representing Babylon. Then came a bear with three ribs in its mouth, the Medes and the Persians. Then came the leopard with four wings and four heads representing Greece. Then there was that dreadful and terrible beast, speaking of the Roman Empire. And then there were the horns with the little horn, which speaks of the revived Roman Empire. The kingdom overseen by this little horn, we learned in verse 9, if you want to come back to chapter 7 and verse 9, 
He says, then I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient ones sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow, his hair was purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. So Daniel in his dream gets a vision of heaven, the very throne of God. There was a river, verse 10, pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. And the court began its session. The books were open. I continued to watch because I couldn't hear the little horns, could I, because I could hear the little horns' boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. Then the other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. And as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so that final coming kingdom at the end of the age is destroyed by the second coming of Jesus Christ. Pick up with me in verse 15 now as we finish off the chapter. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen. Do you think you would write that? Do you think you'd wake up in the morning and go, man, I had a crazy dream and it troubled me. I don't have an answer to it. You know, people have invite, invented these new fanciful dream interpretation ministries. And we've already learned from the scripture, you can't interpret a dream. God can interpret it if he wants to. And you never know where a dream comes from. It could be a message from God, but most often it's probably what you ate or what you watched before you went to bed. And you watched a movie or you had a thought and in your subconscious during your sleep, you've got all these thoughts coming back. But at the same time, God does use dreams and visions to get our attention, to arrest our thoughts. For Daniel, there's no mention of him in trouble, worried, or anything. God wanted to use him as a messenger. And this Daniel, he says, was, I was troubled. My visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of God, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they'll rule forever and ever. Then, verse 19, I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling the remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Now, even by now, you're going to kind of freaked out by the dream. You're like, whoa, what is these horns? And it looks like a face, and it's got eyes. Look at verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule the empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. 
He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. So let's take some time ourselves to study through some of the elements of this and pinpoint some definitions of who they are and when this is happening. Now, the first thing I notice is that Daniel does something wise and spiritual, something just great when he was in distress. He sought more information. He wanted to know what was happening. You can jot it down in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 6. It says, By wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there's safety. In the New Living Translation, it's translated, Don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. You know, God has not created us to be in isolation. But as the body of Christ, God has created us to be in community, to be together. As one scripture says that iron will sharpen iron. That we'll come together and be a support and an encouragement. That when one is weak, the other is strong. When both are weak, they can seek the Lord together. But it's not wise, the Bible says, to isolate ourselves. We rage against all sound wisdom. And Daniel is in a place where he is terrified and troubled. And he seeks more information. This is an area where many of us fail. We tend to allow the difficulties of life to isolate us, to turn inward, to be caught up in the situation, to not, and I would say this, strategically invite people into our lives to help us, to encourage us, to be strong when we're weak, to share an, an outlet for the things that we're feeling. And so when distressing and troubling times come, so many seek to hide away and not press in deeper to the Lord. Daniel, to me, is a great example here. It says in verse 16, I approached the one. I came near. And the one that he came near to gave him the interpretation. In Psalm 73, verse 28, it says, But ask for me how good it is to be near God. Haven't you found that to be true? As for me, it's so good to be close to the Lord. In the New King James, it, it's this. It's, you probably memorized it this way. But at, it is good for me to draw near to the Lord. The Bible says that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. There's that sense of experiencing his ever presence in our lives when we choose to draw near when we choose, I think tonight, our gathering now, flipping on the radio, listening to a podcast, is our attempt to draw near to the Lord in a very busy, busy, did I say busy? Busy world and life that we're in. Just so full. They promised us years ago that technology would save us time. And yet, technology seems to have increased our capacity. We didn't know how much we could do in a day until we had technology. And it hasn't really helped us as much as it has added more to our plates. In Psalm 65 verse 4, it says, what a joy for those, who for those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts. What festivities await us 
inside your holy temple. And I know that folks go, men and women, young people even, I've noticed lately, go through seasons where they spend a lot of time on the property. And so when I see someone and I'm here, and then I, go, I leave late, they leave late, I get here early, they get here early, and I'll see them, and we make this joke about being on the, the, the property and being in a place serving the Lord. I, I like to make this joke, oh, I guess we should set up a cot for you because I don't doubt that you even went home. And if you did go home, you turned right around and came back. And that's, it's not the building and it's not the property that's, that's holy in and of itself. It's what it represents. It represents, this place represents an opportunity to draw near to God. It represents, I mean, hey man, if, if you had a choice to be out at the club tonight and being here at church in this building, you made a good choice. You made a good choice. If you're listening to me on the radio right now, you go, but uh, I'm on my way to the club. Make a U-turn <laughs> and draw near to the Lord. It's a good chance you're not going to find the Lord at the club. It's a good chance you're not going to find the Lord at a bar. But there's a great chance you're going to draw near to the Lord when you come together with other believers and worship Him. There's a good chance when you get up and you face the reality and you say, no, I'm going to gather. Nothing's going to hold me back from gathering with the saints. And Daniel gives us a great example. Don't forget where he's at in verse 15. He is troubled and terrified, and yet that presses him in. But notice the answer he received was still very difficult. It didn't solve his problems. And so we need to come to the Lord with a blank slate when we draw near. We need to come to Jesus and be satisfied with his presence, even if we find ourselves dissatisfied by his answer. We need to find ourselves enjoying him, not for what we get, but for who he is. We so easy turn, things turn into a relationship with God that we're only happy when things go our way. And we're only satisfied when things are happening according to our plans. But you see, we may come to God. You may be praying today, and the answer is not what you expected. And you're brought to another test. What will I do when things don't work out my way? And I see this with Daniel in a sense where he comes and he, want, he asks the question, but the answer does not settle him. The revelation of this dream is he's given insight of the end of the world, what things are going to go down right before the second coming of the Holy One, one like the Son of Man, Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, and his soon return. Daniel, did you really want to know that? He says, yes, I did. He's also given insight onto this character that we know as this last one world ruler. We know him as Antichrist. And a lot is to be said about the Antichrist in Daniel's dream. In this chapter, we see a great contrast in the last two kingdoms that inhabit the earth. The revived Roman Empire, the toes mixed with clay of iron in chapter 2, the ten horns that come later here in chapter 7. And then this one world ruler. Would you hold your places? Turn over to Revelation with me in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, we're given insight more and more on what's happening in the last days, primarily into the last seven years of human history. Notice with me in Revelation chapter 6, it says, As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll, and I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice, like thunder, Come! And I looked up, and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown and was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. 
And when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being saying, Come, and the another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And many of you know this is the four horsemen of the apocalypse that was following the other three, following the Antichrist as he comes, as described here in Daniel. Turn over to chapter 13 in Revelation. Chapter 13. Those of you that want to study such things, we went through Revelation verse by verse. All of these studies are up on the app, and you can go through verse by verse through Revelation, or you can just go through these chapters to learn more about the Antichrist. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, and it had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were the names that blaspheme God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne of great authority. And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worship the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worship the beast. Who is the great beast, they exclaim, who is able to fight against him? And the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. These are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone who has ears should he listen and understand. Thanks for joining us for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor was studying Daniel chapter 7. Pastor Ed, one of the great takeaways is actually the title of your message, and that is, Governments of Man Are Wild. We've certainly seen that in recent months and on through the election, haven't we? Well, nothing really has changed. You know, like the Bible says, things are pretty much the same. We've got different time period, different names, but the same sinful stuff. And the governments of man are wild. That is God's perspective. Man's perspective, you know, unfortunately, even believers, you put your hope in government, you put your hope in an election cycle, you put your hope in changing laws, but our hope can never be in man. Feudal and empty is the hope that we place upon and in a man or a system but rather our hope is in the Lord. It's in the government that will be overseen by Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom we eagerly wait. So whether the person you voted for is in office or not, listen, God is sovereign, and you can trust him, and he's going to work all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. And whether you see it or not now, one day we will. We'll see it with God's eyes. The Bible says one day we will see and know even as we are known. That right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, we'll agree with God that the governments of man are wild. And it only causes us to cry out and depend and surrender to the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay. Or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Just search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. 
Each time we hear from a listener, it is a reminder that God is doing a great work through the radio. It never grows old hearing of the great things the Lord is up to, so please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you live by God's abounding grace. It was written by Max Licato, entitled In the Grip of Grace. Maybe you had a dad like I did that would love to toss you in the air and catch you. We knew dad would always catch us with his loving hands. Well, in the grip of grace, you'll be reminded that our Heavenly Father always caught us and still does. Maybe it's time for you to jump off the cliff of self-sufficiency or leap out of legalism and land right into the strong arms of a God that loves you. Allow Max Lucado to encourage you in that direction as you read In the Grip of Grace. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. We're constantly hearing of people that are being blessed and encouraged as they study along with us. You're a big part of that, as we certainly can't do this alone. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. All right, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel. Join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.